And at this point now, I'm still not taking action. I just know I've got to make a change. So now I'm doing the research. I'm putting a plan in place. You've tuned to Recovery Revolution with Dr. Gayla Gorman. If someone you're close to is struggling with addiction, you've got a lot at stake. That makes you a recovery stakeholder. And you wouldn't be the first person living with an addict to say, I hate addiction. Well, we're taking a different approach. And if you choose to join us, you just might become a revolutionary, loving the addict and outsmarting the addiction. This is episode 15. In the last episode, we learned about denial and now know it's a component of one of the stages of change. It'll be helpful to understand the stages better so that you can recognize them. Trying to make a change when you haven't moved to the appropriate stage will do nothing more than increase resistance. At a minimum, that will make the change process way more difficult. As recovery stakeholders, there are changes that everyone in the family system needs to make that will make living with an addict, in recovery or not, much easier. I'm Dr. Gayla Gorman, and I'm a recovery revolutionary. Let's make making change, even for an addict finding sobriety, as easy as possible. We start by understanding and accepting things just the way they are. It helps to know we're not alone. There are many other recovery stakeholders living through similar situations. This story demonstrates how change works and why we need to understand the process. My husband, Charlie Frangos, is a psychotherapist that specializes in addiction and trauma. We run a program at RecoveryYes.com that we call Reach Yes, specifically designed to help recovery stakeholders manage the issues they face when someone they love struggles with addiction. So we're intimately familiar with the stages of change model that helps professionals understand their clients with addiction problems and motivate them to change. I found this article at Psych Central, and I thought it was really interesting. I had not heard of this particular stage of change referred to in this way previously. So from the article, it says, Deciding to stop drinking is the hallmark of this stage of change. The stage of change they are calling determination and a commitment to action. All the weighing of pros and cons, all the risk-reward analysis, finally tips the balance in favor of change. Not all ambivalence has been resolved, but ambivalence no longer represents an insurmountable barrier to change. Most individuals in this stage will make a serious attempt to stop drinking in the near future. This stages of change model was developed to help people recover from alcohol addiction. So most individuals in this stage will make a serious attempt to stop drinking in the near future. Individuals in this stage appear to be ready and committed to action. Again, the article goes on to say this stage represents preparation as much as determination. The next step in this stage is to make a realistic plan. Commitment to change without appropriate skills and activities can create a fragile and incomplete action plan. Often, with the help of a treatment professional, individuals will make a realistic assessment of the level of difficulty involved in stopping drinking. They will begin to anticipate problems and pitfalls and come up with concrete solutions that will become part of their ongoing treatment plan. This article was the first place I saw this particular stage referred to as determination, as I mentioned previously. 
It's also referred to as planning and preparation, the planning and preparation stage. And I think the most important thing for you to take forward with you from this little piece that I lifted out is this one sentence, commitment to change without appropriate skills and activities can create a fragile and incomplete action plan. So without a solid plan or what we refer to at recoveryyes.com as a blueprint, the change might happen, but it won't stick. And this causes unnecessary frustration and disappointment. So here at recoveryyes.com and um, on this Recovery Revolution show, we're taking a different approach. And so stick with me here and we'll explore this further. Let's take a moment to develop awareness. This is something you can practice anywhere, anytime. Begin by noticing where your breath is landing in your body. Are you feeling your breath in your chest? Is it expanding your rib cage or even your belly? Just become aware of your breathing. Now we're going to breathe intentionally. We'll start by breathing deeply into our belly. Breathe deeply, expanding your belly. Notice how it feels for your belly to expand. Then pull your abdomen in so that all of the stale air gets pushed out on the exhale. Let's do that again. Breathe in deeply, all the way into your belly. Expand your belly. And again, breathe out and flatten your tummy. Squeeze all that air out. Next, we'll move the breath up to our rib cage. Intentionally expand your rib cage with the breath. It may feel like your ribs are stretching out on both sides, or you may feel it expanding your back. Just notice how that feels. You're stretching your lungs to the side and creating flexibility in your ribs. Take another breath into your rib cage. Now let's go back to how you were probably breathing when we started this practice. Breathe into your upper chest. You can feel your breastbone raise and lower with the breath. Notice how it feels to take a shallow breath now that we've expanded the breath into our belly and rib cage. We've sent a clear message to our brain and nervous system that we can take control. Let's use this feeling of empowerment to practice aware appreciation. What's one big thing that you appreciate right now? And keep this in mind as you notice more things to appreciate as you move through your day. What happens when someone breaks through denial? They move into the next stage of change. It's helpful to understand the stages so that you can recognize them. Trying to make a change when you haven't moved to the appropriate stage will do nothing more than increase resistance. At a minimum, that will make the change process way more difficult. At the other end of the spectrum, the distance between where someone is now and the scales tipping in favor of change could be extended unnecessarily. Let's make making change, even for an addict finding sobriety, as easy as possible. I want to open this episode by going through the stages of change with you so that you really understand 
what we're working with here. So the last episode, we talked about denial. That's associated with the pre-contemplation stage and or the contemplation stage. These two stages tend to kind of, I don't know if going back and forth is really a fair analysis because pre-contemplation says, I don't have a problem. I'm really not even thinking about this, right? And contemplation says, I have started to see some consequences. I'm thinking there might be a problem. It's not a big enough problem to make the changes that I'm feeling like I may be called to make. So this pre-contemplation, contemplation process, differentiating between these two stages can be kind of difficult But typically, pre-contemplation isn't even a stage because it's the stage where I'm not even aware of the problem. And contemplation now, I'm aware of the problem, but the scales have not tipped all the way to the consequences becoming great enough to feel like I've got to make a change. So once the scales do tip far enough, I'm going to come to this, what's being referred to in what I just shared with you, the determination stage, which is what we call the planning and preparation stage. And at this point now, I'm still not taking action. I just know I've got to make a change. So now I'm doing the research. I'm putting a plan in place. I'm Sometimes this stage will be called the Monday stage because we know we're going to start whatever this change is in the very near future. And we're putting everything in place so that we've got our bases covered to support us once we do take action. Then the next stage is actually taking action. And with any sort of change we make, there are kind of varying opinions on this. But I believe that there's a reason why we hear the term 40 days used a lot when any sort of big transformation is taking place because that six-week process we tend to go through the adjustments necessary over that six-week process to get to the point where we've now integrated a new way of doing something. So while we can incorporate a new habit in as short as a week or two or three, we will potentially fall back into our old way of doing something much more easily if we haven't really solidified it with at least six weeks of good repetition. Once we've gotten through this, what we are referring to as the action stage, and I would say beyond the six-week point, more like at least three months or even six months, now we're going into the maintenance phase or stage of change. And in the maintenance stage, we are really just making sure that we're staying aware of where we might feel ourselves being tugged back into the old way of doing something, which that old habit from our brain's perspective would still serve us. We've now replaced it with something new, but both of them are still simultaneously existing in our mind as a way to sort of manage whatever this issue is that we're trying to manage. So this maintenance stage will go on at least through a full year and potentially two, three, even five years, depending on the nature of the problem and 
how often in that maintenance stage you find yourself feeling like, wow, if I was not being really diligent right now, it would be really easy to relapse or have a slip. At the end of this process is the termination stage. We don't even really address this termination stage because it's not really necessary. Maintenance really extends for life, but it takes a very back seat in the bus, if you will, once we've gotten to the point where we really don't have much thought about the old habit or the old way of doing something. So we want to be aware of two really important things. One is that it's really easy to get stuck in contemplation, weigh in the pros and cons. This is one of the reasons why we suggest that recovery stakeholders do not interfere with the consequences that their loved one is having related to their addiction. Because all that does is prolong the ability to stay in contemplation. It's not until the consequences mount and the scales tip far enough that anyone, including an addict, says, I've got to make a change. I have no other choice. Then you want to really focus a great deal of energy in the planning, this determination planning preparation stage. And create a really good blueprint that addresses all the things that right now, with the knowledge you have right now, that you could possibly anticipate sabotaging your progress. So the plan and the blueprint is critically important. Let's move into looking at why we would make a change and how maybe to, when we are in that contemplation stage, help ourselves to tip the scales enough without the consequences getting to the point where they're going to just take a really long time to clean up so that we can go ahead and move into that planning and preparation stage. First of all, we need to accept at the core that the change I'm making is for me. A lot of times in that rebelliousness of our own habit, we will even subconsciously, sometimes we're not really thinking this consciously, but subconsciously, if somebody else is wanting us to make a change, we're thinking they don't deserve for me to make this change and make their life easier. And so what we've got to do is take the focus off of that. That's a very immature emotional response and look at our own lives and say, is my life satisfying just the way it is? And if it's not, then this change, even though it might make life better for other people in my life, the change is for me. Change is going to require that I set boundaries. We have more education and information on personal boundary setting at recoveryes.com and specifically in the REACH program. So I'm not going to go too far on boundaries today, but I just want you to know that boundaries can be internal or external, meaning I can set expectations for myself of my own behavior, or I can set expectations for the behavior or the, what I experience with others. And those boundaries need to be set mindfully and thoughtfully because a boundary that I don't hold 
is going to create all other sorts of blowback that are going to make things much more difficult for us. And then remember that whatever change we're making needs to align with our values. So we're going to need to know ourselves to some degree. This can be really challenging for some, but we've got to get to know ourselves and really sort through what it is that I want personally what makes floats my boat, makes me feel satisfied and fulfilled, and then to make a change that is going to make my life better. If I'm making a change for someone else to make their life better, and I don't at least perceive that it's going to make my life better, then this is a change that won't stick. And this is, you know, one of the many reasons why we make changes and find ourselves relapsing or slipping. So some of the things to watch out for, again, are going back to the old behavior, slipping or relapsing. And typically we will go back to contemplation because we may be able to turn a blind eye to it for a short period of time. But if it was a problem before, it's probably even more of a problem now. So We won't be able to hang out in pre-contemplation for too long and get away with it. So we'll be back to contemplation. Again, as I cautioned you before, you don't want to get stuck in contemplation. So how do we use the tools that we're developing to help move us into this planning and preparation stage? And typically we can take the plan we created the last time and see where it had some holes that we need to plug so that it's shored up and ready to go the next time we are ready to move into action. And that our action has to be in integrity, again, in alignment with our values. And sometimes not taking action is action. So if we're not ready, if doesn't feel like this is really the right thing, better to sit and do some more contemplation, work more on your plan before you move into some action that is not going to get you where you say you want to go. And then lastly, as we really look to ourselves for whatever change motivation needs to take place, And we see how much we struggle with it, even for ourselves, even when we're wanting to make a fairly small change, it can be a struggle. It helps us to have empathy and leave the judgment at the door for ourselves and for others. All we can do is just focus on what's right for us and what's going to be good for our own life. And then as we start to live our own life in integrity, we're setting an example for others. And that's really the main work that is ours to do. What's your takeaway for today? One little aha and your time will be well spent. It's safe to say that any habit we're engaging in is providing some relief Of course, some habits are healthy and aren't accompanied by unwanted side effects, but that can't be said for every habit, as we all know. We make making changes way harder than it needs to be. If we'll apply some awareness to determine how the habit is serving us, we can find a more acceptable substitute or address the underlying symptom. Once we've paved the way, the unwanted habit practically falls away on its own. Skeptical? Well, we welcome your skeptic. Just try it and let us know what happens for you.
I see so many stories about multiple trips to rehab, up to 15 times. My 24-year-old daughter is in rehab for the first time. The second night she had a breakdown, but it's day seven now and she's been doing great. I try not to think about her relapsing when she gets out, but it's hard to trust her recovery when I read so many stories about returning to treatment. Does everyone that gets clean relapse? First, thanks for submitting your question. The key to avoiding relapse is to address the underlying cause that the addiction is medicating. Early recovery is focused on sobriety. In treatment, it's forced sobriety. So when someone leaves treatment and returns to the same environment, it's rare if they don't relapse. The statistics are staggering. This is a really complex subject that can't be addressed in a few moments. I have a couple of suggestions for you. First, your daughter should go into some high-quality sober living environment when she leaves treatment. She will need to be monitored and have ongoing support. And trust me, you are not the one to take responsibility for that. If you try to be her recovery monitor, it will backfire. Second, we've developed a support program specifically for recovery stakeholders. You can learn more about it at recoveryes.com forward slash reach. Again, that's recoveryes.com forward slash reach, R-E-A-C-H. It's important for you to know what to do and what not to do to support her in recovery. Are you ready to do something different? Something that will actually make a positive difference? You can take a great next step by getting some professional input about your unique situation. All you need to do is complete the Recovery Stakeholder Survey. Just visit recoveryes.com slash episodes and you'll find the link. In just a few minutes, you'll put the wheels in motion, headed in a new and positive direction. Your feedback makes a difference. What part of this episode helped you the most? Join the Recovery Revolution Facebook group and share your thoughts. Make sure you leave a review wherever you've accessed the show. And if you know other recovery stakeholders, share with them. We're recruiting all Relevolutionaries. Remember, all the links and resources are available at recoveryes.com slash episodes. Don't waste another moment hating addiction. Here at Recovery Relevolution, recovery stakeholders are loving the addict and outsmarting the addiction. We've all been there. We found the combination that allowed us to make some change we really wanted to make. And we may have even enjoyed the fruits of our success for a while. But now we find ourselves right back where we started, maybe even worse off. Why doesn't change stick? We explored some reasons for this phenomenon in this episode, but we're going to dive into the deep end of the pool in the next episode. Our focus is on relapse, why it happens, and how to avoid it. You won't want to miss it. This was Recovery Revolution with Dr. Gayla Gorman. For more information and to find any resources mentioned in this episode, visit recoveryes.com episodes. Thank you for tuning in. <music>